0: Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, squeeze up next to somebody who, well, don't do that because you're supposed to be socially distancing. Look for someone with a large print Bible that you can look across the church at. And the scriptures will also be on the wall. Hebrews chapter 11, starting to read at verse 1. It says, Now faith... Is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, who was his older brother, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. If you're not familiar with that story, it doesn't mean that God changed him into another language. It means that God took him. He took him from this life to the next. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Amen. I'm going to be preaching this morning about a place for faith. A place for faith. We love you, Jesus. We we've already prayed, Lord, but we just want to acknowledge you again and ask you, Lord, to anoint your servant. Lord, your word is already quick and alive and powerful, but we just pray, Lord, that you would Lord, that faith would build in this place, Lord, that it would be mingled together with your word. Lord, that we would see that word in action today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A place for faith. There are some subjects in the scriptures that when we try to understand them, we try to define them in terms that work for our minds, we actually take the risk of placing limits on them that aren't meant to be there. Uh, A good example of that is the idea of God's grace. Uh, We all have some concept of what it means when we say the grace of God and we often define grace as being the unmerited or the undeserved favor of God, which we, what we mean by that is His goodness towards us is something that we don't deserve. We haven't earned it. We, we can't earn it. There's no way we can earn it. And that's a true statement. But grace is, is not just limited to that. Grace, grace doesn't only encompass the opportunity to be saved, but it also includes power to enable us to continue to walk with Jesus. The Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians and he, Paul was struggling with a weakness or a challenge or an affliction in his flesh and asking God to deal with it, to take it away. And God told the Apostle Paul that his grace was sufficient or that it was enough, that God's strength could actually be made perfect through Paul's weakness, that the grace of God would get him through that without the Lord actually taking away that thorn. We have to understand that not everything painful is wrong. Not everything that hurts is evil. Sometimes there is a purpose in the pain. Sometimes God uses, you know, your natural body uses pain to get your attention. You touch the hot stove, it sends a very quick message to your brain to remove your hand. Because it wants to intervene in that situation. And there are things that God, God is not a sadist. He's not sitting on his throne, dishing out punishment, but he allows circumstances. He allows situations to get our attention. Let's think about the virus at the moment. He's got the entire world's attention. They're not looking to him, but he's got the whole world stopped right now. And God can use things. We sang the song that he takes what the enemy means for evil, turns it for good. So God will even allow sometimes the enemy to touch our lives to demonstrate what he can do. Amen. We need to understand that. And grace is wrapped up in all of that. The grace of God, when God allows that, the grace of God will bring you through that. It's important that we we get that grace is more than simply an opportunity to be saved that we didn't deserve. It goes beyond that. And faith. Faith is another one of those subjects that We have to be careful we don't put it in a box and limit it uh, just because we're trying to understand it. And some of you already know this, but this chapter in Hebrews is often called the, the Hall of Faith or the Faith chapter because it includes within its verses references to men and women from Scripture who demonstrated their faith in God by how they responded to God. The two cannot be separated. If you have faith in God, it requires a response to God. And in our text, there's a lot of things I'd like to, to bring out in our text this morning. But for the sake of time, there are, to start with at least, there are three verses I want to touch on that give us some great insights into faith. And I'm going to do something a little bit weird. I'm going to read them backwards. I'm going to start with Hebrews 11 and verse 6, where it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's not difficult it's not challenging it's impossible for he that comes to god must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him in case you don't realize that pleasing god is a really good idea it's a really good idea he's the king of kings he's the lord of lords he is the judge of all mankind he holds our existence in his hands so he's somebody that you want to please But pleasing God is also a good idea for each of us because it gives us access to what God wants for us. It allows us the opportunity to be in a place where God is able to make us what he wants us to be and to reveal himself in our lives in the way that only he can. So if we are going to please God, faith is involved in believing that he exists, but Also, we benefit from pursuing Him, or seeking after Him, or wanting to have Him in our lives. The Bible says that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So if we, like the psalmist said, my soul follows hard after thee, O God. If we are pursuing God, if we are seeking God, He rewards that pursuit. He's not handing out trinkets or candy bars, but He is rewarding that with revelation of Himself. He's opening understanding. He's, he's ministering in our lives. He's providing. He's doing things. Why? Because we are seeking after him. Amen. If you have, if you don't have faith, you're never going to seek after God. Then we come back to verse three. And verse three says that through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It makes a statement that it's through faith that we understand. Now, that, that's not understanding in the way that we normally think of it because if you can understand something, you can probably explain it. If you ask me to explain how God could speak to nothing and creation happened, I can't do that. don't have that ability. But what it means when it says through faith we understand that, it means we are confident that this is how that happened. We have an assurance that as the Bible says that there was originally nothing, And then God spoke, and there was everything. And that's how things came into existence. And I cannot sit down with a scientific calculator and a PowerPoint presentation and show you how he did that, but by faith, I understand. My confidence is in him. Our confidence is in him as our creator, that when he spoke, that creation took place. Amen. And then all the way back to the very first verse of chapter 11, where it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've heard that verse most of my life, and it is always, I guess the technical term might be messed with my head, because it seems to be contradicting itself. It seems to be talking about things that don't go together, but it puts them together. What do I mean by that? If if I'm hoping for something... That means I haven't got it yet. You don't hope for something that you've already got if you did, something's wrong with that picture. But if you're hoping for something, it's, it's looking ahead. I'm hoping for something that I don't have, but how can it have substance if I don't have it yet? If faith is the substance of things, hoped, how can something have substance if I haven't got it yet? That doesn't make sense in the natural, at least not to the way my mind works. And the second part of that verse If there's something that I've never seen, how can there be evidence? If faith is the evidence, of how can there be proof of something I've never seen before? Those are naturally contradictions. God has a way of contradicting the way we think naturally, just to show that the way he thinks is so much higher than the way we think. Amen. But we see, we serve a God that we cannot see, and yet we believe in and trust him. We've seen him demonstrate visibly the things that we've trusted that he said that he would do, but you cannot see them at the time. And so I began, as the Lord was speaking to me about this passage throughout the week, I began to look a little harder at the word substance. In English, as in the straight English dictionary, the meanings include things like a kind of matter or material, physical matter. We're familiar with the expression of chemical substance. We hear a lot about that today in our society. Substance can also mean the real physical matter or material of which a person or thing consists, which has a tangible, solid presence. This pulpit is made of the substance of wood. It's tangible. That means you can touch it. It's real. It's material. Something has substance in the natural thinking. It has a solid basis in reality fact but the greek word which is translated as substance here in hebrews 11 and 1 includes some of those things in its meaning but it also adds to that meaning with ideas like substance can be a setting it can be something that is placed under it can be a substructure or a foundation so there's an extra dimension there and so to believe in god for you and i to believe in god is to cross from the realm of the things that we can understand, touch, feel, and explain into the area of the invisible that we cannot touch, see, or explain, but to believe that they are true. Amen. That's, that's what faith is, is to believe, to trust, and obey what God says. And so what faith says, if I can take that meaning, is that although I live in a world where I can see things and I can feel things, because God has spoken to me by his word, I'm going to make some space. I'm going to prepare a place for God to show up and to show off, not in the sense that we think of that word. Faith is the setting. It is the substructure. It is the foundation. It is the place that you prepare for God to show up and you prepare for God to be in your life. It does not make sense naturally. Amen. To put it in terms that might help us to understand it a little better, it is as if we are setting a stage for God to perform on. Not in the shallow sense of entertainment performance, but to do what He wants to do. So when we say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, is we are setting a stage for something that God has said that He will do, granting Him the opportunity to demonstrate that His promises are, in fact, real and can be trusted. Now, when you do that, when you set a stage for God, you may not have the script. He's not always going to give you all the details. He won't even tell you who the people are that he's going to use to bring his promises to pass. But God has declared that if I will believe in him, he will do what he says. We're talking about a place for faith this morning. And so if I believe in God, I'm going to make some room for him to be God in my life. I'm going to create or make space for God to demonstrate His power in my life, in our church, in our city, and in our nation. But it required, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen. When we get, we go back to the very beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke particularly, we find a man by the name of Joseph with his heavily pregnant wife, Mary, having to travel to Bethlehem. Now, Joseph's natural understanding of the reason they were going to Bethlehem was that everybody had to be registered and to pay tax. When you read the story, the, the Romans had decided they were going to tax everybody, so they, sent, they all had to go back to the town where they were born, and they could be registered and pay their tax to those, the occupiers of their nation. But that was Joseph's natural thinking, because what was really happening was God was positioning them so that prophecy could be fulfilled, that the Messiah could be born in Bethlehem. God used. I I don't like the idea, to be honest, of God using tax to fulfill his will, unless it's a refund. But Joseph could see naturally, we have to go to Bethlehem, register, pay tax. God was allowing that, and he was bringing them back so that his will, his prophecy could be fulfilled. Amen. And if you know the story we so often refer to as the Christmas story, Bethlehem was packed with people. Packed with everybody that was coming back to their birthplace. And Joseph and Mary were probably a little bit late getting into town. I don't imagine you can travel too fast either on foot or by donkey with a wife that's nine months pregnant. You're probably stopping for regular rests, I would suggest. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, speaking of Mary, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That verse reflects for us the fact that Jesus would come as a humble servant. Philippians 2 tells us that he took on the form of a servant and humbled himself. He he laid aside majesty and came in a very low form. But it also reflects to us a condition that would plague mankind for all time, that there is no room for the Saviour. John 1, 10 to 11 says he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. His own people, the ones that he had guided for centuries, did not receive him. They did not acknowledge him. They did not make room for him. But the very next verse says, but as many, John 1 and 12, as many as received him, to as many as were willing to make a place for faith, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And I want to encourage somebody this morning, if you're willing to make a place for faith, God wants to make you His child. God wants to give you the power to live the life that He wants you to live. Amen. Back to our text in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. There's a whole lot in this verse, but to bring out some points, Noah lived in a wicked and a perverse generation. Noah lived at a time when the Bible says that the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually. Continually. Jesus came on the scene thousands of years later and declared that as it was in the days of Noah. So it would be in the days when he would return for his church. You look around you in the society we live in today, everything is being fulfilled that prophecy gave us. We're seeing that wickedness. We're seeing that men's hearts are further and further from God. We're seeing that, I think it's Romans that says, that man's choosing to worship the creature rather than the creator. Amen. Creation for all its splendor and all its wonder was only ever a stage for God. Every mountain you've ever seen, every postcard, every natural landscape, and I'd love to see those things as much as anybody. And I think that man's made a dirty great mess of the earth because of sin. Sin makes a mess whatever it touches. And the earth and creation is a beautiful thing, but what it is is a statement. It is a shouting statement of the majesty of God. But in all of its wonder, in every incredible picture you've ever seen, and all the, you know, these wildlife photographers that lie in the bush for days on end to get that one perfect photo. Every picture you've ever seen, every home video that Brother Frost has ever shot out in the bush. All of that is simply a stage for God to perform on. It was that stage that he created his image creature. But even then, he had Bethlehem in mind, that it would be the place that he would come manifest and reveal and declare himself. You see, creation doesn't resist him. When he speaks, creation obeys. When he said, let there be light, there was no argument, there was no discussion, there was light. When he separated land and water and plants and trees and all the creeping things and all the stuff that he made, there was no negotiation, he simply spoke and it happened. Because any, and you've heard me preach this before, but any yielded environment is an opportunity for life to be formed by the word of God. You and I are the only creature in the all of creation that God has given the ability to resist him. We are the only ones that can say, no, thank you. I don't believe in you. I don't want to do what you say. I reject your word. I reject your commandments. I want to live my own way. And that's why humanity is now serving the creature rather than the creator. Mankind is obsessed with the stage rather than the star of the show. But the earth is his platform. It is his stage. It is for him to reveal who he is. And Noah lived in that wicked generation where the whole world was perverse. But Genesis chapter 6, I believe it is, tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And because of that grace, God warned Noah about something that was going to happen that nobody had ever seen before. That's what it says in the beginning of verse 7. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. God, I don't know how whether God appeared or was an audible voice. I don't know exactly how God spoke to Noah, but he told him that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. He was going to make it rain. He was going to destroy the entire earth because of the wickedness of man. And he spoke these words to a man that had never seen rain. You know, the world mocks Christians and describes God as our invisible friend. He is invisible, but I've seen him demonstrate. I've seen him demonstrate in things that I can touch, I can feel, I can look at lives and I can see them change. And just like they thought Noah was crazy, they'll think you're crazy as well. You imagine, here's Noah, the Lord appears, however it was, sound, whatever, however the form was that he communicated to Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the entire earth with a flood. Noah had to look up what a flood was going to rain it's going to do what he couldn't pick up the phone and call his pastor and say you know pastor i had this crazy dream i'm not sure if it's from god didn't have any point of reference to check if he was losing his mind but from what we know of Noah, we can understand i believe and assume that he believed in the god of his grandfather methuselah and his great grandfather enoch who got a mention in chapter 11 just before he did and so with reverence and fear for God. And there's nothing wrong with a healthy fear of the King of all kings. He made a place for faith in his life. He prepared an ark, and you might I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that the ark that Noah built was the substance of his faith. God said, This is what I want you to do. He demonstrated faith. He put substance into his conviction into his belief god told him that this crazy idea was the only way out it was the only escape plan from judgment and destruction and as insane as it must have seen that you know people still question whether it happened today because it's such a far-out idea and as crazy as it seemed to everybody around him Noah's gigantic floating zoo was the demonstration the substance of something that he was building but he could only hope for. He put faith into action but the promise he couldn't see. Amen. You know, I have no doubt because humanity then was the same as humanity now. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. People probably came by on a Saturday night just to laugh at Noah for something to do. Let's go see the crazy man with the floating zoo. Well, it wasn't floating at that point. I am sure that there were days that Noah felt so discouraged he didn't pick up the tools. He stayed home. He questioned everything. And the Bible says that Jesus in his humanity, because his humanity was genuine, that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, that he experienced temptation. And when you read the narratives of the Gospels and you look at the interactions with people, he experienced loneliness. He experienced betrayal. He experienced those very real human emotions. So for us to think that Noah took decades to build a floating zoo and was always at the top of his game every day is an illusion. If God manifest in flesh went through those feelings, how do you think a man building the only escape plan that nobody would listen to felt? day in and day out. He questioned things. He said, Lord, is it really worth it? You know, I mean, this is a really big boat, Lord. Could we shorten a little bit? Could we just take the nice animals? <laughs> Could we just... I don't know how you get two mosquitoes on an ark. I guess they just came with the the, the rest of the animals. But they, they were there somehow. Some of you might have seen that cartoon. It shows Noah going, slap, oops killed one of the mosquitoes how you know to 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 noah i am convinced that there were days when it just lord it just seems extreme there's got to be there's got to be somewhere in the middle of the road there's got to be somewhere we can we can come to an arrangement where it's going to be okay but i don't have to do all this stuff you've been there i've been there does it really matter how we're baptized does it is jesus name really important Do we really have to be filled with the Holy Ghost? You know, I I know some really nice people that believe in you, God. They don't believe what I believe. Does it really matter? Can't we find some sort of middle of the road, warm, fuzzy place where we can all sing and sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya? Buy the truth. Sell it not. It's that name that everything's going to bow to. It's that name it's got to be on my soul. It's that spirit that the Bible says when he returns, that life that we already feel is going to become supercharged, if you like, and we're going to lift off this planet and in a moment there's going to be transformation where this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruption and we shall be changed. And I promise you on the day, nobody's going to be asking, is it worth it? Do we really have to hold this line here, God? Does the ark really have to be that long and that high and all these disgusting smelly animals, half of which want to eat me? Does it matter? You better believe it matters. But Noah, when he got over those feelings as we all do when we trust God, he said, if that's what God said, I'm going to make a place for faith. I'm going to set a stage in my life for god to perform his acts and in doing so he saved his family parents keep your kids in the ark he condemned the world not that he was their judge but because he believed and demonstrated you could trust god that judged them and it says that he became the heir of righteousness god's righteousness was accounted to him that verse, I don't know if you ever noticed, but verse 7 of Hebrews 11 begins and ends with by faith. The book ends that verse. And if you are going to set a stage for faith, if you are going to prepare a place for Jesus, you need to understand something important. He doesn't do the small parts. He's not an extra. He's not somebody that just comes on to help you make a crowd scene. He has to be the biggest name on the marquee he has to be the one that identifies what's happening. He's the star of the show. Jesus said he would not share his glory with anyone else. And if you try to squeeze him into some bit part between the acts, you're going to miss out on the promises of God. He is the reason that we set the stage in the first place. He's not second fiddle. He's first chair. If you're not familiar with that expression, that's when an orchestra plays, and there's groups of—I'm getting into trouble here with the musicians. But so, for example, there's a group of people playing the violin. There's one violin that's first chair; they lead, and everybody follows. Second, playing second fiddle means that you're almost in charge, but you're not. People don't like to be second fiddle, but God is never going to be second fiddle. Years ago, there was a an elder by the name of Brother Tom Barnes. He, He passed away some years ago now, a wonderful man of God, who in its early days, he was around uh, long, long time ago. I, don't, I didn't get, get dates, but in the very early years of what we call modern Pentecost, he was an evangelist and a prophet. And as was often the habit back then, he got himself a tent, got a marquee, And these evangelists would travel from place to place and they'd come into some town, set up the marquee on a vacant piece of ground. Sometimes they'd put straw or sawdust down on the ground, put out rough benches and they'd preach the gospel. And Brother Barnes told a story once of how when he first got into his ministry, he got himself a big sign for his marquee that said Tom Barnes Ministries. And he heard the Lord say to him, you see how that goes for you. And instantly he got rid of that banner and got another one that had Jesus' name going across the marquee. And God used him mightily to do incredible things. Amen. I want to tell you something this morning. If you're a new believer, you need to lock this away in your spirit. If you're looking for faith to make sense, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. It's not going to make sense. Faith is designed to occupy the space where the natural man can see absolutely nothing at all that's where faith goes. When humanity says it's impossible, you can put faith in that place and God can fill it. Amen. Blessed Lord. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about a few spaces that you can make for faith in your life. The most important of all is the salvation of your souls. The scripture says that he will wash away your sins in his name, fill you with his spirit. You need to make a place for that to happen. And it will. And when we baptized a young couple last Sunday night, one of them was filled with the Holy Ghost in the baptistry. Why? Make some space for God to operate. Make a stage in your life for God to show up. When it says to repent and to be baptized in Jesus' name, you need to obey what the Word of God says. When it tells us that we are to receive the Holy Ghost, don't fill your mind with every different theory and teaching and nonsense about the Spirit of God. Trust the Word of God. Make a space where when it says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, believe it, make room, and let God demonstrate what God can do. Every promise that is for the church, if you read the promise, you believe the promise, you set a stage, you watch God do what only He can do. Too often we skip the God part and go on to try to fix things ourselves, and God's saying, if you'll just give me an opportunity. If you'll let me step in. The miraculous, the supernatural. Let me be very clear. We are not against doctors and medicine. There are some crazy people that think Christians should never see a doctor. That's your philosophy. Good luck to you. I'll do your funeral. The man who wrote the book of Acts was a doctor. (laughs) But when you're sick, when you need healing, you need a miracle... The Word says, we saw it practiced this morning. We didn't set that up. People came to call for the elders to pray for you. Have them anoint you with oil in Jesus' name. Make a place for faith. Give God an opportunity. He may want you to be healed through the skills and the knowledge of a doctor, but give him an opportunity to demonstrate what he can do. In our families, parents, and I'm particularly going to lay this on the fathers and the husbands, lead your family according to the Word of God. Brother Frost spoke to us a little bit about it yesterday. God designed the family. It might be a good idea to talk to the one that designed it about how it should work. Amen. Teach them truth. Teach them what is right. Demonstrate it. Live it. Build an ark for your family like Noah did. Build something that will be an escape plan for your family from the judgment of God that is coming. You cannot guarantee that they will always make right choices. Some of them may even walk away from God, but don't tear the ark down. They've got to have somewhere to come back to. They've got to have something. You say, this is still the only way. I've seen heartbroken parents who've had children that have walked away from truth and found themselves somewhere in the blurry, milky middle of false doctrine. Those parents will bend themselves to try and care for their children they're tearing the ark down. Their hope is for you to keep the ark, not to compromise it. Don't turn it into some little dinghy, but keep the ark the way that God wants it to be. They've got to have somewhere to come back to. You might not see how they're going to come back, but make a place for faith anyway. It's not your job to see how it works, it's your job to have faith to see it work. Hallelujah. God's provision. God promised that He would supply your needs. didn't say everything you wanted, He said your needs. He didn't say when, didn't say how," but He promised. He's asked you to trust him with your finances, to put him first, even when it's not easy. that doesn't make sense. You know it does not make natural sense to put God first when you use your finances. Because if you can do basic maths, you can work out that it doesn't always add up. But it's not about rational thinking. You know, we have people in this church who need work. We've got people in this church that have got more money going out than is coming in. And yet I see them give their tithes to God week in and week out, or fortnight in, fortnight out, whatever they're pay cycle. I don't check those things, but everybody's given online at the moment. So you kind of see it's there. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But they understand that if they will make room, if they will set a stage, God's promises are still yay and amen. He'll still show up. He'll still make a way. He may let you, he may test that faith. He may stretch that till it's tight, but he'll show up if you'll give him that opportunity oh hallelujah fellowship faithfulness god said that he would make you part of a body of a family he said that he would use that body to strengthen you to change you i want you to do something really weird for a moment just close your eyes everybody this won't be hard think about the person that comes to church that annoys you the most i hope not all of you are thinking about me some of you are god wants to use that person To change you. He didn't put everybody in the church to comfort you and make you feel warm and fuzzy. He put some of the people in the church that are going to rub you like coarse-grade sandpaper. And that's because you need to be sanded. (laughs) Amen. That's a word for somebody. When you commit to him, when you commit to his people, when you commit to his house, you make a place for him to fulfill those promises. When you're too busy... And your schedule means you've got trouble making it a priority, you're going to squeeze God into the sidelines of your life, into a background role. And he's patient and he's long-suffering, but he won't stay on the sidelines forever. Cannot do there what he can do center stage. I want to maybe finish this with one more, one more stage that we can set in our lives. And that's godly counsel. If you know me at all, you know that I believe very strongly in godly counsel and accountability. The reason that I believe so strongly in it, beside the fact that it's biblical, is that it's the only reason I'm here. The only reason I'm still serving God is because God placed spiritual leaders and elders in my life all the way through, from my mom as a child to my pastors to the elders whose counsel I still seek today. I'm not smart enough to get through this on my own. God has set that up for us to take advantage of. And when you make room for godly counsel and direction and accountability in your life, you're making a place for something God has offered you. If you feel like you need counsel, here's here's the the method you should use. The first thing you should do is pray. Say, God, I need direction. Please give, maybe it's the pastor, maybe it's somebody else, give them direction for me. Then seek that counsel and trust God want to share something with you in closing i'm connected online to a minister's group it's a interesting group of people sometimes it's discussion sometimes it's fellowship sometimes it's prayer requests and testimony sometimes it's just nonsense but uh ministers need time to have nonsense as well i wanted to share something with you that really shook me the other day i read this on thursday morning it was a pastor who testified in this forum about a young couple in his church that were engaged. They approached him in January of this year. So this is not a story from way back when, this is current. They approached him in January this year about going overseas to teach in a school. From what I understand, it was connected to a missions work and to a missionary couple that were already in that country. It seemed like a perfect ministry opportunity. The pastor said, you know, go ahead, get the details. And I think he made contact with the missionary And he was preparing, I think the words he used was he was preparing to release them to go. Now, when you use words like that, some people's back gets up. They don't like the idea that a pastor should release you. But if you're going to be involved in ministry, serving the kingdom of God, you need that oversight. If you don't believe in that, you're going to be out on your own and in all sorts of trouble. But he said, this pastor said there was just something that didn't feel right. He said it wasn't something that he could explain or put down and say, well, this, this, and this, but he felt strongly in the spirit of God that they shouldn't go. He couldn't explain it, but he told this young couple, I don't want you to go. In his testimony online, he said it was really hard for him as a pastor to say that to that young couple, because it seemed like such a fantastic opportunity. It was very hard for the young couple to accept. It went far enough that another family in the church got really mad at him and accused him of controlling people and using people like puppets on a string, and he had to wear that because he couldn't give an explanation for what the Lord had impressed upon his heart. See, I've been on both sides of that situation. I've been the counsellor and the counselee of hard advice. But this young couple chose to trust their pastor, which was an act of trusting God, and set a stage for faith. Had they chosen to ignore that council and leave anyway, they would get married in June. Had they chosen to ignore that council, they would have arrived in Beirut, Lebanon 10 days ago and been at ground zero the day the explosion took place. That's current events. That's When I read that, I thought, did God help us to make a place for faith? You know, he couldn't give them a reason. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do is to counsel people and say, I can't give you a reason. It's just what I'm getting from God when I pray. Everybody wants a reason. If you have to have a reason for everything, you're going to have a hard time walking by faith. But sometimes we've just got to trust God. I want you to stand with me this morning, if you would. I'm not going to open the altar, but I'm going to give us a chance just right where we stand to lift our hands and say, God, help me in my life to make a place for faith that young couple came to their pastor in the midweek prayer meeting the other night and thanked him for telling them to stay who knows how that would have happened oh god i pray today for your people in this place lord god car we got new saints we got